Hi, welcome to the Lavender Mafia podcast, episode two. You made it. I'm super excited that you're here with us. Today's topic is going to be about family heavy, but stick with us. I think you'll really enjoy it. Thank you for being here. We are the Lavender Mafia. We are the Hi, and welcome to the second episode of Lavender Mafia. It's kind of exciting. We're veterans now. I'm Jess Garcia, and I am a filmmaker, music producer, worship pastor, and perfectionist who also loves to procrastinate. It's just, <laughs> it's just the truth. And this is Jack Bates. I'm a drag queen, theologian, comedian, and perennial disappointment to my family. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't ring true for, I hope that doesn't ring true for you if you're listening. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, that is one nice thing about the pandemic. We have fewer opportunities to disappoint our families in person. <laughs> I mean, is that a nice thing or do we like thrive on that? <laughs> yeah, I I do feel like I get a little bit stronger every time I disappoint my father's expectations for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now I'm very powerful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very far from what he wanted for me. <laughs> yes. Um, Sometimes I feel bad for straight people who, like, can live up to their parents' expectations. Yeah. They don't feel the, like, the thrill of letting your parents down like we do. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, the freedom. The freedom that comes with having let someone down enough times that they no longer have expectation of you. And you're just like, I can do whatever the fuck I want now. Absolutely. Um, that brings up, I'm actually going to bring it up here just because this week, my wife and I watched Happiest Season on Hulu. Uh -huh. And if you don't know what it is, you're probably a gay man. If you do know what it is, you're probably a lesbian or queer woman. Um, <laughs> Can confirm. Gay, have not watched. <laughs> yep. And queer woman and got ads for it for months. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, we watched it and it. I really wanted it to succeed. Like, I really wanted it to. Mm -hmm. And um, I... Basically got to a point where I was like, I've got to watch this. I've been told, like, I'm watching all the TikToks and hearing from everyone that it was horrible. Um, and I was like, I want this to have, I want this to be good and that everyone's just being dramatic. Because there's plenty of situations where that's true. Mm -hmm. Like, our culture of our age group is hypercritical of, like, people. There's lots of cancel culture. I don't really subscribe to that, right? Yeah. And so Why is it important for, for it to succeed? Because it was queer and it was a lesbian or queer woman's love story mm. it's like it needed i really it was popular it was being done by some phenomenal actors it was written by clea duvall and it is and directed and so it it needed to be good it needed to be great mm. right yeah and the truth was is that it was filmed excellently the story was strong but it was disappointing because it was so triggering it was like so oh, yeah. real and it it hit on so many things that we actually are dealing with on a regular basis. And I think 
I could have handled it outside of the holiday season and mm-hmm. still said that was a great movie. But because it was so holiday specific, it was like, oh, this is a sensitive time. And sure, they didn't film it knowing that pandemic was going to happen in the year 2020. Um, but it just hit harder for some mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we needed a hallmark lesbian love story. And instead, they gave us something that in the last five minutes was supposed to make up for it, but not really. Also, sorry for if I, no spoilers, but <laughs> a bit of a spoiler. This is airing in like a month. If they haven't seen it by now, they're not going to see it. That's true. Yeah, it's, um, we're, we're filming this in December, or I mean, we're filming, <laughs> we're recording this in December of uh, 2020. So yeah, you're right. It's, it, it's just, I am tend to be, if you listen to the first episode, if you know me from real life, I tend to be a positive person. I tend to love to give things positive spins. Yeah, it's really annoying. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, so I I just feel like it's it's one of those films that it needed to hit um, in a way that was not so real. Mm-hmm. And and for me, I'm. I'm I wanted it so badly. I wanted so badly for it to do well. I like Kristen Stewart. I like um a lot of the actors that were involved with Happiest Season, but um I want to still support it cuz it was cuz at least half the cast or I would say at least a third of the cast was queer. Mm. Um and um it's created by someone who is queer. Um and maybe it's just unfortunate that the timing was what it was. Yeah. You know, like, how can I tell what it would have done for me last? I think I still would have been a bit disappointed and frustrated just because we need a good, like, fluffy, we know it's going to be happy ending at the end, queer love story. Yeah, absolutely. We deserve it. Like, we're too, we've, we're so overdone with people dying. Okay, we're past the dying thing. We're going to try and hold on to relationships. But can we just have like a healthy one? Like for a moment, because they do exist. Like it doesn't have to be that toxic with all the toxicity involved. Right. I don't know. So that was my like little contribution. What'd you do? What was something that stood out to you this week? Oh, um, lately's just been hitting me harder how difficult it is to date during the pandemic. Mm. Like it's not hard to get dates. Like there are a lot of people out there with not a whole lot to do. And I thrive in situations where men don't have anything, any better options. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Scrape the bottom of this barrel. Uh, So I've been going lots of dates with lots of unusually emotionally unavailable men. Mm. And I, I want to be compassionate. If I were not going on dates with these boys, I'd be compassionate. Like the world is in a real shitty place right now. A lot of people are having a very difficult time handling it. I get that. Um, maybe don't get on the apps and say you want a long-term relationship then. Right. Do a little bit of introspection. Give yourself an at-home kind of spa day and just think about where you are we support therapy here absolutely get some fucking telehealth in your life yes 
and stop trying to date me. Mm-hmm. I got so sick of men's bullshit that I thought about, like, I'm a, I'm a bi person. Like, I could just swear off men entirely. Like, that's on the table. But then I thought about the last time I got a little tipsy, one of my Tinder settings, and switched it from interested in men to interested in women. <laughs> to be honest, it did not go great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to flirt with women. Mm. Like, you know my flirting style with men. Oof. Like, very aggressive. Yeah, it would be a very, very different blunt. experience. Yeah, yeah. What comes across as, what I hope comes across as, like, attractively confident mm-hmm. towards a man is just creepy as fuck if I would try to direct it towards a woman. Mm-hmm. But I have, like, one flirting setting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Huntress. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's funny. Yeah, I've heard from, because I haven't been on a dating app in six years. Um, Rub it in. <laughs> I've heard from a lot of my my queer female friends that are still on dating apps that they're, they, they're it's similar. They're still dealing oh, yeah. with also that toxicity of like people who don't know what they want. And I think that's just a general human setting right now. Like we... We want human connection, um, but we still have only really learned how to do it in hookup culture. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to unlearn that. Like, that's something that I feel is is could be one of those things that um, we say goodbye to. Um, in, in not, the, not the positive parts of hookup culture, maybe the negative parts of hookup culture where you don't give a shit about the other person that you're hooking up uh-huh. with. Because I think you can give a shit and not have not have a relationship like you can give a shit respect the other person and just hook up and yeah, I, absolutely like i feel like we're starting to understand we have to put in some work because it's like do i want to risk my life for you like that's the question at this point like it's i'm gonna put in time and effort to get to know you and then decide like maybe i want to actually hook up with you in real life and that might require quarantine and also a risk for me right and that takes work what it, it's a completely different situation of formula than it was you know nine months ago so yeah. i don't know it's 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 definitely an interesting it's an interesting time for dating for everyone i think yeah for sure so let's you know we are experimenting with the format for this um for this uh show and that's what i love like when you're in early stages it's like what works you know, and we want to hear everyone's opinion too. Um, as long as it's positive, don't. No, I'm joking. I want to hear. I want to hear people's opinions for sure. Um, but I think we're gonna dive w- right into the main topic. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. My body's ready. Oh, don't get me so excited. <laughs> um, the main topic this week is gonna be family, and and that's it's a tough it's a tough topic. Ooh, yeah. I know it's it's one of those things that's like mostly in the queer community it's 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 definitely something that hurts you know it's something that very few people can have a po- have a positive experience with and I hope that that like I feel like here's the thing about family I'll du- I'll jump into the first question in a second but I was just thinking about this we have if you're queer and you've been in the in the um in like out and in the queer community for a while you know that family is actually a what's the term for it like a word that is used to um facilitate and understand that like 
oh, are you family? It used to be this thing that people would say. Like I remember being asked that oh, yeah. the first time and I didn't understand what it meant. It's like a code. Yeah, it was a code. Thank you. Yeah, it's like a code. I, I was, I was, I was younger and I didn't know what it meant, but someone came up to me and said, are you family? And I was like, what? Are you a friend of Dorothy? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. What? Yeah, we can be family. What are you talking about? And, um, and it was just really, it was really cool to like find out that that was this code for like, are you queer? Mm -hmm. Are you in the community? And it's nice to take a word that can be triggering when thinking about our lived experience and like apply it, steal it back and say, no, this is a welcoming thing. This is something that we get to like own. Yeah. That was just something I was thinking about. But for you, like, how was family talked about in your previous faith context? I feel like, so I grew up in American evangelical Protestant churches, sort of non-denominational sleeper cell Baptist kind of situation. Sleeper cell, yes. <laughs> um, and a focus on the family was big at the time mm. and like the moral majority and the religious right, blah, 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 family values. Everybody was very focused on specifically the nuclear family. Mm. A man, a woman, and their usually biological children. A very little adoption was talked about. And that was presented as like the most important thing. That's what God wanted you to have as your most important thing, like your nuclear family and their interests. Like that came before everything. Yeah. And so it was really hard to grow up in a family that wasn't really well connected with each mm. other. Uh, my my family context could have been way worse than it was. Right. Uh, a sort of benign neglect characterized most of our interactions like we were just sort of people inhabiting the same space uh but not not deeply connecting with each other and so when the church said these are like the most important human relationships i looked at my experience was like oh fuck this is this is as good as it gets because this is not that good mm. how's it for you yeah, it's very different than than your story. Mm. Um I will I do want to like say in reference to your focus on the family thing, we we have a um there's someone in our community in our family um who is actually the daughter of the main guy from Focus on the Family, Amber Ann Cantorna, and she wrote a like she's completely cut off from her, the family, completely cut off from everyone because of her queerness. Um, and she's she's Christian still. She's held on to her faith. Mm -hmm. Her last name is Cantorna because she married a lovely, amazing wife, and of course was able to abandon you know some of that um, her old her old name um, and experience. And she's she's written a couple of really um, great books and uh, that have helped people process. And I just thought when you brought that up, I was like, yeah, so many people were touched. If we want to use that term um in a non-positive way like we're, we're by focus on the family you know um can you point on the doll to where dobson touched you 
<laughs> Maybe think about cutting that. Maybe don't. Maybe don't. Oh, man, but that's so real, though. It's like it sucks because that emotional trauma is like feels like a physical trauma, you know, yeah, to so many people. And yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, for me, I grew up in... Um, in a family who my dad was Mexican and my mom was white. Mm -hmm. Um, but she grew up, she was raised and adopted by Italians. Yet for her, um, chosen family was something that was understood, mm. um, for her because she was adopted. Like she, she was chosen by her family. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of subscribed to that pretty early on, um, when it came to anyone coming into our, um, our, you know, our, into our family. Like we had, I remember growing up, there was always someone who was either staying with us or maybe for, maybe it was for a couple of months We and we didn't have a lot of money and we didn't have a lot of room, but we would always make space. Mm -hmm. And so when we moved from where I was born in Los Angeles and we moved to um, Baltimore when I was 12 and um, we had to subscribe to that even more because we moved away from my grandparents on both mm -hmm. sides of the family. And, um, aunts and uncles and cousins and, um, our church was where we found, you know, um, a faux uncle and, and, you know, like I had an uncle Dave who helped me with guitar stuff and, um, you know, an uncle Roger who, um, who meant a lot to me as my dad's best friend. Like there were just these people who were jumping in as playing those parts. And so it was consistent throughout my life that there was chosen people that we got to say, no, you're my family. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and feel that same reciprocation. Um, and it was important because when I was, when we moved to Maryland, um, a, within a year, my dad was diagnosed with hepatitis C mm. and my dad was diabetic. I knew him as being sick most of my life because he didn't take very good care of himself. But when, when the hepatitis C became active after it was diagnosed, we would not have, it was one of the hardest times in my life. I don't know what I would be without that experience of my dad being, being severely ill and my mom stepping up and taking on the role of working 60 hours a week and, 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 you know, providing for the family, um, which my mom and dad had even roles up to that point. But then my mom had to take on all that. And, mm -hmm. and I at 14 had to make sure my dad was still breathing and, crazy hard stuff. Oh yeah. You know? Um, so I quickly like learned the benefit of being in a church community that, um, that treated us like family mm. in the sense that someone gave us a car one time, like I think it happened even twice we, we, when we were the most poor and we didn't know where the food was going to come from, where we, what we we're going to eat the next day, we'd come home to groceries covering our front porch mm. And like, it would be like name brand shit. Like we never, we never got to get like Cheerios, like hell yes. And, and, and it was just, I understood the emphasis and importance of community and family from the start because of my faith, because mm -hmm. of church. Mm -hmm. So for me and our family was really tight. My dad, um, getting sick made me and my siblings even tighter. So I don't know, for me, it was, um, even hard things is what like drew us closer together. Mm -hmm. Um, which I don't know if that made it harder 
to come out or easier? I think I would say harder because I was a, I was the golden child. I was the oldest. I was the one that did so much of the, of the work of like keeping our family together and like being like the referee in a lot of situations. Um, when I moved out when I was 19, I did it because I needed to be able to live my own life. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I felt like I was not going to be able to do that if I stayed. And I also thought I won't be able to come back and help if I'm in it. And, and that was, that was accurate, but mm-hmm. it made, it was also a way of figuring out who I was. And it was sure. a really, it was it, by being that tight it made it that much scarier to be honest about my queerness and who I was, I think. Mm. So, yeah, that makes sense. You had a lot to lose if it went poorly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my siblings, they knew who I was like mm. my, my siblings and I were super close. We, we, we came to the conclusion a couple of years ago that we basically raised each other. My mm. mom worked so hard and my dad was so sick that there wasn't anyone left. Like I did a lot of raising, but then we raised each other mm. and, and we admit, we admit that. And it's been helpful to name that. Because there was definitely some bitterness uh, throughout. Uh, some people, some of my siblings more than others, had had bitterness left over of being frustrated about having not gotten that childhood mm-hmm. that we thought we deserved. I guess you could say. Yeah. Um. But but yeah. So family's a a big topic for me. It's still very important to me, but. Yeah, for me, church helped to transform my concept of family also. I was in a church when I was in college, and I joined a small group, and they really treated me like family. Uh, I was kind of the baby of the group, and they took care of me when I needed it. And it was really sweet. And I forged deep friendships with some of the people in that group and really came to see some of them as chosen family uh, in some ways closer than my biological family absolutely had ever been you talked about how it was different than your bio family mm-hmm. um how, let's relate to, to queerness like how has queerness affected um your relationships with your your relationship with your bio family specifically. Yeah, I in some ways had an easier time coming out to my bio family because we weren't that close. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have that much to lose. Um and I didn't. Uh my family isn't particularly affirming or condemning they're just sort of like whatever about it which now that i think about it i think i might like worse than if they had a strong reaction to it because it just doesn't seem like it's that big a deal do you not care enough to kick me out right (laughs) (laughs) no I, i get that that completely makes sense like it the um it's better to have passion it's better to have hate yeah. or love 
but to have um apathy oof apathy hurts to be apathetic yeah absolutely uh when i came out this isn't bio family but it's family stuff when i came out i was married to a straight woman and queerness definitely affected that relationship um we we tried to work it out uh went to therapy and everything but um we separated about two years after i came out and it was it was directly a result of the impact that queerness had on our relationship i know that hardship takes us to the places that we are and makes you the amazing person that you are but i'm still sorry that you went through that like it's still hard and i'm sure it was hard like like was there how can you frame that for us a little bit if you're comfortable like was there rejection like did you what were the emotions that you were going through yeah uh yeah thank you for saying that i it was really hard i've gotten to the point where i'm not sorry that it happened i'm sorry that it happened the way that it happened um i think my ex and i are better apart than we are together well i don't feel like i can necessarily speak for her i'll say i'm better off without her (laughs) no that's fair um we when we got together we were both very conservative devout christians and in the course of our relationship and marriage i i got to be more and more progressive um and my wife kind of got to be more and more conservative and that wasn't so much of a sticking point like we could agree to disagree until i came out and we then we couldn't agree to disagree anymore mm-hmm. that's so interesting i think about how like comparatively like my my relationship with my wife i think the reason why it thrived was because of our differences mm. but i think what it comes down to is respect and i think yeah. a lot of conservative Christians lose the ability to respect someone else um, because we're pressured like in evangelical spaces, especially mm-hmm. to only to have very black and white perspectives, like to only right. accept one truth. And if other people don't believe in us, then they need to be converted. And that it's such a, of course that's what ended your relationship. You know, it was Mm -hmm. like this, this key thing. Whereas for me, as I've become more progressive, my, my wife is pagan. She's a witch Mm -hmm. and she, um, she's very spiritual and practicing. And, um, and I love that for her. It's, it's, I've seen her grow into that from agnosticism. And within the first couple months of us dating, we had that conversation about like Mm -hmm. my faith, right? And it was, it was like one of these things where I thought I would, you would assume that I'd be the closed-minded one in that conversation. No, she was like, (laughs) 
how can we be together if you think I'm going to hell? And I was like, oh, you just made an assumption that I believe in <laughs> hell. But, um, and I still wasn't there yet. Like fully like didn't know how would I believed about hell. Uh-huh. But I was like, you made an assumption that I, that I know what your life is and that I've determined what, you know, that I have one black and white perspective. And that's just not true. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was, uh, it was really bonding for us to mm-hmm. like, to understand that like, oh, I can respect what you believe and we can have these really excellent conversations. And honestly, having an interfaith marriage and relationship, I think I recommend it for people all the time. I'm like, mm. it, it supports interdependence, which is one of the healthiest ways to have a relationship, mm-hmm. you know? And, and this one sticking point for us though, and you have, you have a little boy with your ex. Yeah. Um, like, I'm sure that's gotta be super hard. Like for us, even being together and supporting each other's differences, we're, we're like in the process of, you know, we're hoping to have children and, and, and working on, 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 on training, um, for potentially fostering to adopt things like that. Mm -hmm. And we are, uh, we've had many conversations even years before this because we knew we wanted to have kids about like will they go to sunday school (laughs) will they not (laughs) and i think since moving to la and finding our our community at new abbey she's okay with it but still she wants to make sure that they are in a space where they don't ever feel pressured to believe one thing Mm -hmm. um but that was a sticking point for a few years and and if i hadn't find found our community here i'm not sure where we landed so but what about you like how how do you guys deal with at least you guys have the same faith but obviously drastically different in um <laughs> category <laughs> um i don't know that i would say that we have the same faith sure. uh, as i have gotten more radical along queer liberation lines I I've come to the conviction that people who don't think that all humans are equal in the sight of God are practicing something, some form of religion that's very different from what I understand Christianity to be. Or let's say it this way, what we understand Christ to have believed and, Absolutely. and you know, been about like it's like we say christian and we forget the first part of what that is like who was mm-hmm. christ but we can go on that tangent another day <laughs> it's not a tangent it's uh what we're talking about right now like if if christ is for the liberation of the oppressed like we see especially in the gospels then those who are specifically oppressing marginalized people like mm. the LGBTQ community are following a different Christ. Yes. Amen. They've got a different Christ. Therefore, they've got a different gospel. Therefore, it seems to me like they've got a different faith. Like this doesn't Absolutely. come from me. This is just out of St. Paul. Yeah. I, this whole year um, we've been in um, the book of Mark uh, mm-hmm. which any other time in my life I would have said 
you spent a whole year in one book um, <laughs> at church. And, and Darren has just, um, Darren McKenna is our lead pastor at No Abbey NoHo. And he has just done such an excellent job of helping me to get know, get to know Jesus in a way I never knew him before. Mm. And the context for which Jesus came from. And I feel like when I think about Jesus now, I was actually talking, we just finished it last Sunday. And I was talking to my wife about it, which I rarely do. I don't talk about um, too much Jesus stuff with her just because she's not a fan. Sure. Um, <laughs> but she, but she's, she wants to hear about certain things. And I was telling her, you know, I, the one thing about, um, about Jesus for me is besides getting to know him more is that like he was a radical, like evangelicals mm-hmm. would have rejected him now. Like, and she said, he's like your modern day AOC. And I just was like, <laughs> yes, to think about AOC as Jesus was amazing. That made me so happy. But it's, it's true. It's like, if you think about Jesus with the mobs of people following him, how quickly would that turn into Jesus is, is leading riots? Um, right. And, and it's like, it's just interesting to think about, um, Jesus for who he actually was and learn and learn that as opposed to the very white, very cis um, Jesus that he has become to evangelicals, very straight, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, it's, it is important. You're absolutely right. Um, With your son, when you're spending time with him, um, what are you thinking about besides like just getting time with him? Like in terms of passing on, essential things like is there one anecdotal story where that like describes that experience for you yeah i i've been trying to be very intentional about teaching him what i think that god is like kind of my religious values i don't want him to feel like he has to believe a certain thing, but also he's four. So I'm just going to set an option out for him. Um, And I'll tell him that, you know, this is probably different from what they teach at your mommy's church. Mm -hmm. But daddy wants you to believe that God loves everybody equally and that God doesn't like people less or hate people because they're different. And God wants us to be like them. God wants us to love people, even sometimes, especially if they're different. Because sometimes when people are different, that makes them special. Doesn't make them worse. So I've been trying to drive that home with him. Does he catch on to you using they, them pronouns in reference to God? (laughs) No, Uh, not yet. Not yet. It's just a curious, I mean, it's, I've, I know with adults, I've had a few conversations with, um, with people about, um, within a context of non-affirming and affirming individuals having conversation Mm -hmm. and they actually really appreciate, I would say 70% of the time, they really appreciate me using they, them pronouns. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, interesting. And like, logically they can't unlogic it. Like they can't, they're like well, there is a Trinity. So at least they get that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I wonder how that'll affect your son. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'm Episcopalian, and the the theology of the historic Christian tradition is really important to me. And during almost all the church's history, we've affirmed that God is not inherently gendered. Mm-hmm. God is not gendered in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's part of why I feel like they, them pronouns are particularly appropriate. I feel like they're more theologically accurate. Absolutely. And I get why, I get some of the reasons why almost exclusively masculine pronouns were used in a lot of the composition of scripture, like that made sense in their context. But I want to affirm that masculinity and femininity are equally of God, mm-hmm. that men, women, those of us in between or outside the gender spectrum all reflect the glory of God equally and in very different ways. And for me, using gender neutral or gender non-binary pronouns for God gestures towards that reality. I love that. I love that. I know in talking about your son, um, I know recently you've had some experiences in like being honest about your queerness in in certain capacities with your son. Mm-hmm. Um, how's living into that queerness like affected maybe your immediate family or, you know, your views on family? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, in recent conversations with my son, I've both come out to him in a way that I hope he's able to understand. I think he's understood. I told him that if daddy gets remarried, daddy's probably going to marry a boy. Um, and he he understands that. <laughs> the next week he says something hilarious. He said, uh, daddy, I think if I get married, I'm going to marry a girl. You know, I tried to choke back tears every parent's nightmare when your child comes out to you straight and then he said <laughs> he said if that doesn't work out i'll marry a boy <laughs> yes he is his father's son <laughs> very much very much so well by icon <laughs> yeah he's he's my bio family too and he's the most important person in my life. And so he's really helped to begin to redeem my appreciation for biofamily because mm. before, before having a son, it was all basically chosen family for me. Those everything that was important. And still that's a lot of what is important in in my experience, um, besides my son, most of my friends are queer. Uh, and Jess, you and I have uh, a lot of the same queer friends. Absolutely. Uh, our friend group, our friend groups have like a lot of overlap mm-hmm. in them. And our friend groups in some 
ways really operate as families. Absolutely. Like, I mean, in some of our friend groups, what you're the mom and I'm the dad. A hundred percent. Because binaries are important. Like, yes, <laughs> we are the two genders. <laughs> but it, it operates that way. Like so often, like I get the calls about sex and kink things and and you get the calls about like emotional trauma and like a hundred percent. And it's hilarious because. I mean, like, there are certainly times that I'm going, you should definitely ask Jack this, but they're more comfortable with asking me that question. <laughs> um, I guess I come off a certain way. <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, vice versa, there are times where you want to kick it back to me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, but yeah, those, um, those friend groups, you were, you were saying something about them and I cut you off. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, there's even a, a recognition that you and I hold these roles. Like, they'll, they'll call me mom and they'll call you dad, mm-hmm. especially some of the younger gays. Like, we do have this sort of paternal or at least, like, older sibling kind of relationship. Yeah. And I love having relationships like that. Like, in the last episode, I talked about when I came out, I wanted to have a queer mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I never had one. Um, but now I get to be... I get to be a queer mom to uh, some little queer, little precious queer angels who are trying to navigate this. Yeah. And I think like that's something that's been true in queer culture for a long time mm-hmm. uh, because we've needed to create our own family, create yeah. our chosen family. But that being said, in queer Christian culture, like there are not a lot of people that are older than us or more experienced than us. Yeah. Um, and and I would say that's true across the board. Um, but especially in queer Christian culture, like you said, um, I think in the previous episode that, you know, we're fairly new, like being queer and Christian and being able to speak openly about that and live into it is a fairly new concept, um, Mm -hmm. and a fairly new experience that, um, and, and I'll say like, obviously there are people who have been this, have done this and experienced this like for year, hundreds of years, mm-hmm. but I'm saying like living into it <laughs> right. and being out and open about it. Um, it, 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 it changes our lived experience. Mm-hmm. And I would say like, again, referencing back to our history, the AIDS crisis, um, it, and I don't even know that I like that term just cause it was created by someone that you know by like uh the part of history that we're not a huge fan of but the mm-hmm. the experience of of aids and the way that it affected our communities we lost a lot of people a lot of people and so there are not a lot of grandparents and older generations to tell us how to you know to pass on how to live and so we're we're stepping into that role mm-hmm. um and we have like my 10 years of, of being out is like a lot, a, a huge lifetime compared to uh-huh. some people's, you know? Um, and so there's a, like, I'm th- so thankful that I was unable to keep it to myself. Um, and I had mm-hmm. to step into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that, that family that we've created, um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to be um, able to be a dad to, especially like, I love my mom, um, but I was a daddy's girl. And like (laughs) the things that my dad provided for me um, and uh, to be able to do some of that um, and be a a parent 
um, in some ways for people um, when they're struggling with their own parents, their own bio parents is huge. That's great. All right. Yeah. I've loved having the opportunity to, to kind of parent uh, these queer kids of ours in the way that I wish that I'd been parented. Like they know that there's no question that they're not allowed to ask. Absolutely. They might prefer come coming to you with some things or coming to me with some things, but there's nothing off the table. I'll intentionally get up in their business and make sure they're being safe. Absolutely. (laughs) Roll their eyes. Okay, mom. No, it's so true. It's so true. And I remember one time there was a situation where one of our younger gabies um, came, was, uh, was, was afraid to share something with me. Um, and then realized that they could share it with me. Mm -hmm. Like it was one of those things where they were afraid to not make me proud. And so some of their trauma from their actual bio families ended up affecting our relationship. And I was like, honey, you can tell me that like, it's okay. You Mm -hmm. know? It's it's so interesting how trauma affects us mm-hmm. in those situations, you know, and to be able to provide some healing for those experiences. Like, yeah, call me. I'll celebrate with you. Yeah, call me. I'll be patient. You know? Um, the one thing I couldn't talk to my mom about and that probably caused the biggest wedge for us because I definitely had a close relationship with my mom for a long time, was me being gay. Mm-hmm. Like, to the point where my mom, when my dad passed away, a couple of years later, she started dating someone. And I noticed that she was, she would only talk to my sister about advice mm-hmm. related to her relationship. And I told my mom, you know, you can talk to me. Like, I'm actually married. Like, <laughs> I have a pretty successful relationship, but for some reason she didn't, for some reason she felt more comfortable talking to my, my younger sister about it. And, Mm. um, and that kind of, that really bummed me out. Yeah, I bet. But more recently, and I'll say this because I do believe maybe my mom will listen to this eventually, but something literally more recently, like in the past year, like I, my my wife and I, when we moved here, uh, you know, like I love my wife so, so, so insanely deeply. We moved here um, for like speak of family, like the importance of family. Mm-hmm. I made a choice like eh, two years ago when my, my wife was diagnosed with fibromyalgia f- about four years ago. And it's been like an insanely hard experience mm-hmm. for both of us, but especially her to watch her go through the amount of pain that she's gone through. And, um, it, I had to make a decision to leave my, my family and move to a warmer climate where my wife might have it be able to experience some healing, mm-hmm. um, because climate heavily affects her uh, health. And, um, Two years ago, we made that decision um, and or two and a half years ago now. And it was a distinct decision of like, I'm going to choose to be apart from my siblings and my mom um, who are more recently healing from my dad's passing away. 
-hmm. but they had done so much growth and I felt like it was like the right time for me to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there was some respect there because my mom did the same thing. She moved like her parents did the same thing. They moved from Greensburg, Pennsylvania to Los Angeles because my grandmother had health issues that needed a drier, warmer climate. So mm -hmm. he, my, my poppy picked everyone up and moved them across the, like across the country. And then my mom moved to the East coast with my dad because my dad got a job opportunity and, and ended up staying there because when my dad got sick, we had access to Johns Hopkins. Mm -hmm. And so she sacrificed her mom, her family, everything that she had built here. And then I did the same thing and moved to Los Angeles with my wife. Mm -hmm. And so there's like a level of respect that I believe my mom had in choosing that. And I know this because I'm not just making an assumption. Um, my mom and I were talking at the, at near the beginning of pandemic because in that first month, especially the first couple months, I feel like couples who were stuck in the same area together nonstop either made it or broke it, right? Like it was like, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> it was like in a make or break kind of situation. And for us, any couple, any, any couple that moves um, or any relationship that does a big move, it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Um, and we, we had a lot of changes happen in the year that we moved here. And, um, and so I was talking to my mom about some things and my mom was defensive and it wasn't mm. even like I, of my, of my wife, she was defensive of my wife. And it wasn't even like I was saying things that were like, cause I was so, I would be so safe about the way that I talked about Erica to my mom cause mm -hmm. I never wanted to misrepresent her, sure. you know, but my mom was like, well, just you're a little hard to handle sometimes, you know? And I was like, excuse me. And then also I was tearing up because I was like, oh my God, my mom just defended my wife. And that, that relationship has been very strained for a long time and been very hard. And, um, and so it was really good to hear not only my mom come to defense of Erica, but also defense of our marriage and mm -hmm. say like, you need to focus on, her and you need to focus on you guys and just gave me advice about marriage and and equated it to her and my dad's relationship and um excuse me i'm just tearing up over here um mm -hmm. it just meant a lot to me and sometimes it's just those little moments like your mom giving you a freaking pantsuit from the eighties. <laughs> um, sometimes it's just those little moments that yeah. are a sign that something has changed. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. So for me, family has always been important and it was hard to let go of some of my expectations of my mom. Mm -hmm. But when I was able to kind of like focus on my marriage and my immediate thing, the way that you focus on your son, mm -hmm. Um, and my, I, I often say my future family, cause like focusing on my wife means focusing on the children that we eventually have. And, mm -hmm. um, it was the right, it was the right choice. And, um, in some ways it, it helped my relationship with my mom mm -hmm. by creating boundaries. Sometimes healthy boundaries are exactly what we need. Cause if yeah. our parents think that they can continue to speak into our lives, um, then they stay where they're at because they have no reason to grow. Right. 
But when we separate ourselves, then they go, oh, did I lose? Did I lose this child of mine? Do I need to do something about that? And hopefully they do, right? Yeah. I recently set a boundary with my mom. Like, we we talk with some frequency. And not very often, but every now and again, she'll, like, give a sort of moral evaluation of what I talked about, or she'll give me some unsolicited advice, uh, which is like normal, annoying parent stuff. And so I mostly just like brushed it off. But the last time we talked, I, I decided to do something about it, to set a boundary. And I said, Mom, I would like something to be different. I'm going to set a boundary with you. You do these things, and I want us to have uh, a healthy relationship between two adults. Yeah. And my other relationships, I don't let people do these sorts of things with me. So I'm going to stop letting you do them with me. And it went fine. Yeah. Her reaction was good. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Sometimes we just have to ask for it. Yeah. You know, that's really good. I love what you said about your relationship with Erica transforming your relationship with your bio family Hmm. sort of fits into uh, a kind of pattern I see with the way that queer people are in the world and in the church as we're given the freedom to pursue healthy lives and relationships. They become transformative, not only for our communities, but for straight people too. They look yeah. at what we're doing and they, they realize that they could be, be doing better than they're doing. Yeah. That happens. I feel like you're absolutely right. That happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it, we could easily turn that into a joke, but it's just the truth. Like yeah. I've had many friends um, look at the way that my, like a great example would be my wedding day. Like my wedding day was one of the best days of my life. And many people afterwards have said it was one of their favorite days too. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like, like they loved our wedding and because it was a, a, such a brilliant, beautiful display of love Mm -hmm. and it had to be like queer love can't be just like, like this kind of queer love cannot be like distracted with so many other like extra frilly things. Like sure. Mm -hmm. There were our, our wedding was beautiful. But I feel like that was the focus because like it had to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so many, so many people come up to me all the time and say like, how do I get a marriage like that? Like, how do I get a relationship like that? And, and the answer is a lot of hard work. Like sure. you don't get great relationships without putting in the work. And, um, so many people like think that love is supposed to be simple. It's supposed to be easy and it's just not true. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) It's just not true. That's that kind of love falls apart real easy. Mm -hmm. And like Eric and I went through some incredibly hard stuff in our first year, Mm -hmm. whether it be together or individually. I had my dad passed away in the first year of our relationship. So 
yeah, it's one of those things where, where you, I don't know, it's, how do you center it? Like, how do you center that relationship? What do you center it around? Um, and, and how much are you willing to work mm-hmm. for it? You know, I have a funny question for you. Yeah, go for it. So we're often like finding ways to queer scripture. It's like one of our, the things that you and I do. Mm-hmm. And when you look at scripture, is there like anyone that you go, oh, I relate to them. Like, like this, this, this family unit, this specific family unit, I ref, I, I relate to them in some way. And whether it be like your chosen family or your bio family. Oh yeah. That's a good question. <laughs> I've always really liked the disciple John. Like he, you can tell from the way that he writes, assuming we don't need to get into boring authorship debates. <laughs> uh, the the author of the Gospel of John is clearly very intelligent, a very mystically oriented at the same time. And I love that balance of theology and mysticism. And there's there's a sweetness in his relationship with Jesus that I find really attractive and gay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. In our conservative Christian context, we were taught that the queer romance, queer erotic love were going to lead us away from God. Mm. That has not been my experience. Yeah. It's not further from the truth for me. Right. And not just talking about the fulfilling relationships that I've had with men over and over again. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But even querying my own relationship to God and to Jesus has, has given it a sweetness, has given it an intimacy that it never had before. Uh, one of my tattoos is part of a verse from Song of Songs. It's from chapter one, verse two. It's a bit that says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Oh, damn. And the, yes. right? is that hot? That's so sexy. And a, a lot of theologians in the early church believed that whatever else was going on in this verse, that one of the things that God meant us to take away from that is that here's an expression of a person's longing for a sort of soul union with Christ. Mm. And I thought that was beautiful. And in, in song of songs, the one who speaks is a woman. And I love being able to put myself in that feminine characters place Mm. and say of Jesus, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth to use my queer eroticism to lend uh, an emotional or to give an emotional dimension to my relationship with God that it it never had before. That's beautiful. Another thing I like about John is that 
like he's in some ways at the center of the way that Jesus calls us to transform our conception of family. Hmm. It seems like John might have been the person that Jesus was closest to. Um, in in the Gospel of John, I think in one of the Gospels, I think is John. Uh, Jesus is on the cross, and he looks at Mary and at John, and he says to Mary, "Woman, behold your son." And he looks at John and says, uh, "Behold your mother." Mm. He was he was saying to the person who is probably most important to him in the world, "Can you take care of my mother when I'm gone?" And I just think that's so sweet. Mm. And culturally, that was the prerogative of the oldest son. Uh, Jesus was Mary's oldest son, and he was passing on the responsibility to John. Even though Jesus probably had blood brothers and sisters, the source of some controversy, Catholics will say, call Mary ever virgin and that she didn't have any biological children after Jesus. Um, and you can read the Bible both ways. I think it's most natural to take the references to Jesus' brothers and sisters as his biological brothers and sisters. And the, the role of taking care of Mary as she got older would more naturally have devolved onto the second son when Jesus died, but that Jesus gave that responsibility to John mm. show that he was recrafting familial relationships based on the way that he was kind of the the center of both of their lives mm. like it was their relationships to him that tied them to each other that's queer as hell isn't it <laughs> like blood does not matter that much to Jesus in the gospels. Yeah. It's very anti-focus on the family. It's very well, anti-nuclear family. And if you think about it, Jesus was not the blood of his father, of his, you know, earth father. Right. Um, And, you know, it's like, of course, like why would, why would that be important mm. to, to Jesus. Yeah, I relate. I would say like I've thought about this like uh, in a couple of different ways, but over and over again I keep going back to Jesus's relationship with his chosen family, the disciples, like mm. um or the apostles. Like like he over and over again says like 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 treats them as if they're his own. Mm -hmm. You know? And um it's his relationship with them and especially that they're the same sex, like the same gender to me mm -hmm. is, is, is also poignant. Like his deepest relationships are with these other men. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are a few women that, that he has strong bonds with that are, um, are outside of our cast offs are people that, right. that are rejects, um, from culture. And so, so yeah, I feel like like I relate to the way that Jesus chooses family. Mm. Um and I would say that um 
I'll say this. It's kind of funny. Um, I also, um, I haven't said it yet at the podcast, but um, I am Polly, and um, I am in a semi-monogamous marriage. Um, and so for us, like, there's so much of, like, the Old Testament, like, dudes who, like... <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, all right, couple wives. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, Can you give like a short description of your understanding of Polly for our listeners who might not be familiar? Absolutely. Yeah. So being, being Polly amorous, um, a couple of people look at it a, a couple of different ways, mm -hmm. but the way that I look at it is, is it's a, it's an identity for me. Um, mm -hmm. means that I am attracted or can fall in love with multiple individuals at the same time. Mm. Um, and it does not negate or take away from the love that I have for one individual. Um, and for some people, they're monogamous. They can only be in love with one person at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think a lot more people than, um, necessarily realize, um, that it's totally possible to be in love with or have, um, attraction or deep connection um with more than one person at a time mm -hmm. um it feels like for me that i just have a ton of love to give mm -hmm. and uh, i'm not a huge fan of and my queerness is so representative in my polyness because uh i don't like to be limited by these rules that have been created by society saying that like oh you you know this is what this is what a relationship, a committed relationship looks like. Right. <laughs> like, no, I'm incredible. I think that was one of the hardest things for me when realizing that I was Polly is that I'm incredibly in love with my wife. Like mm. I was like head over heels and people would just be like, but I thought you really, you really loved your wife. I do. <laughs> and even in my head, I thought that too. I was like, why am I having feelings or attractions towards someone else? If I'm so deeply in love with my wife, it must mean something's missing there. Mm. And that's just not true. I just, I love humans and I love deep connected relationships. Um, and uh, I'm an extrovert. And so <laughs> um, for me, I enjoy many deeply connected relationships and friendships. Um, and so I like to blur the lines and, um, as some people, like, I like to say, my one friend, um, one of my friends, uh, one of my best friends, Rosie, said to me, or sent me an article one time and said, this screams you, which was romantic friendships is what it was called. <laughs> uh, and it was, it was basically about these kinds of relationships that I like to have, which are not like, oh, you're the person I go to coffee with, you're the person that I record podcasts with, or you're the person that I, <laughs> like, no, you, you're the person I want, like, to like be involved in every part of my life. And so uh, the way that it manifests itself for me, just cause we're talking about it right now is, um, I have my primary, which is my wife. And then I have secondary, um, like one or two or three friends that I have deep emotional, um, and connected relationships with. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, that's kind of how it works out for me. And, um, anything, Maybe some other time on some other portion of theme of podcast, we could talk more details on that. But, but yeah, it's, um, that's also a reflection of how important family is to me. I think, mm -hmm. um, that I really value these, 
I really value these deeply connected relationships that require some, some form of responsibility, Mm -hmm. right? Like if I'm hurting, I need you to be available to me. Right. Right. Like I need you to feel that that is important to you too. Right. And, um, and sometimes those friendships change because that's natural for, for everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is very important to me that I have someone besides my wife. Um, and it's probably important to her too, because it's, I'm a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Checks out. (laughs) So it's, it's helpful. And, and also in supporting her, like I've already said a little bit about her fibro, but it's, it's a heavy, hard thing to carry. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm the caretaker in my relationship and being a caretaker mm-hmm. in a marriage is 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 hard. Yeah. Um and so I didn't really realize until moving out here how much on empty I was. Um in terms of drawing energy and um having the energy to give in my marriage and my relationship. Um and in finding chosen family out here and finding community Um, I've often said that I want to commission an artist to, um, do what I think is a visual representation of what family has family and uh, chosen family and community has meant to me, um, and show me holding my wife and leaning back on a crowd of individuals supporting and holding me Mm. because having that community has been the major part of why I've been able to be such a strong foundation for my wife. Mm. Um, and I realize I'm talking about myself, but it's just true. And my wife would be, sit here and say the exact same thing. Um, and so it's given me the opportunity to have people to fall into. Um, and that's been invaluable. That's beautiful. And you're one of them, so, you know. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Why are all my, uh, my uh, what's the term? Why are all my spouses disabled? It's a thing. What, what's up with that? <laughs> Broken people are just better. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They work really hard. Isn't that true? That transitions us to the <laughs> I was going to say, segment. I love that perspective on family and how well it fits with what we see Jesus doing, taking family from a concept that was used to exclude and making it something whose purpose is to include. Like the, the walls aren't meant as a sort of threat to the people on the inside mm. like don't don't get too liberal don't get too queer or we're gonna throw you outside of the wall right insofar as there is any exclusion in family like i'm naturally a little little skeptical towards new people in our friend group like can i trust you What's your angle? <laughs> and sometimes that ha- that skepticism has borne out. Yeah. Um, that somebody has uh, built connections with us and hasn't had the purest motives. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that skepticism that I have, that sort of impulse to maybe not exclude you, but put you on probation, mm. it's for the protection mm-hmm. of those on the inside. Like, I, I'll tell our friends, like, I would help any one of you hide a body. Yeah. And they take it as, like, exaggeration. And it's just as well that they do. It's just as well that our listeners do, too, in case any of y'all are in law enforcement. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it's true. It's true. It's like you you have that that level of commitment and connection, you know, to Mm -hmm. to our family that we've created, you Mm -hmm. know, and I I mean, I agree. I my wife would say the exact same thing. You guys are very similar. Yeah, I would say that you are protective of our family, but I would say that also you are so welcoming like like and we have to be you know we mm-hmm. we want people to feel safe and welcome to be as weird as they want to be um as strange as they want to be you know um, oh, i love a mangy stray oh i'm totally. always bringing in stray gays to our oh a hundred percent a hundred percent um and honestly like it's been it's been such a funny thing to like to like connect with people a lot online right now mm-hmm. because of pandemic yeah, and, and be like, Hey, join us, like mm-hmm. <laughs> join our hang, um, online, you know, like on a zoom call or something. And, um, and it's, it's been kind of cool to like, to connect. And I think that's part of our reason for starting this podcast has been like, mm-hmm. there's so many people out there that are mangy little gays, like who don't know that they like, they have a place. You know? Yeah. Your headphones have been unplugged this whole time. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you hear yourself now? Yeah. That's hilarious. You've been doing a great job. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so if I hear you right, we're basically offering like a blanket invitation to adopt any of our listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like, if we haven't already started um, a a group online you've definitely f- come and follow us on our social medias which you'll hear our handles at the end of the of the podcast but yeah we 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 want to like you're welcome into the family like please mm-hmm. be a part like please tell us your story we want to hear your stories like and um we're totally here to be a mom dad and uncle whatever you need um in support daddy <laughs> maybe not a daddy maybe not a daddy <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, slide into those DMs. Gentlemen. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. And so I think that that, honestly, I think that concludes our, our talk on family. Like mm-hmm. family is, it's hard. It's a hard conversation. Um, but it's also a beautiful thing that we've been able to create in our community, you know? Yeah, I love the opportunity to retrieve something that had become toxic or weaponized against us. I think that's going to come up again and again because that's a lot of the experience of the queer Christian to have had to develop a sort of defensive shell against even things that could be good because those good things were weaponized against us. And then we grow, we learn that, okay, those things don't necessarily have to 
to wound us, we can pick those things back up again. Yeah, I definitely think it's like the experience of a lot of queer individuals, but specifically queer spiritual individuals who decide mm-hmm. that they want to hold on to something that so much was a toxic environment. Mm-hmm. And to say like, no, I don't want to let that go. Like there was goodness from that. How do I pick out the goodness? Mm-hmm. And how do I leave behind the bad? Um. Yeah, I feel like so often I meet 22-year-olds that feel like they're 40, right? Because they've done so much work. (laughs) (laughs) And I appreciate that we are pressured or pushed or I don't know what term you want to use, but like, because we're, I appreciate the fact that we're pushed into that work, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, because a lot of awesome maturity has come from that. And so many other people... um, who are not marginalized, who do not have the queer or minority experience, um, aren't like Mm. the world is made for them. And so they, they don't need to grow and they don't. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you're one of those people that the world was made for you and you're listening and you, you're right-handed, you jerks, sorry, I'm (laughs) left-handed. Um, (laughs) the world was made for you and all of your privilege, on um, all you straight cis uh white dudes out there like if you've done work to deconstruct and and understand um and try to put yourself in in our shoes like i i don't i can say it like i'm not trying to like celebrate you or anything but like i do appreciate it i mm-hmm. appreciate those those individuals too cuz we've like in the churches that we've been the church that we've been in together there's plenty of those yeah, people definitely. that have said, you know, like, we don't like this. We don't like that the church is treating not everyone equally, mm-hmm. you know, and pushing certain people out um, and chosen to step out of a comfortable situation um, in order to defend what they think is right. Mm-hmm. They can come into our chosen family, too. I'm thinking of you, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> um awesome well that concludes our topic of family we did it we We survived everyone we honestly did like i only cried once that's impressive this episode was heavy yeah yeah honestly like we the first episode we had lots of laughs and talked about some heavy shit and we'll do that we'll talk about heavy shit we'll laugh about it too but Mm -hmm. like i think it's important to like I think with queer people, especially um, like, you know, this, you're freaking comedian. Um, But like, I think we make light of situations a lot in order to survive. Right. And I think that that's definitely essential, but Mm -hmm. also it's okay to dive in a little bit. Yeah. You know, well, um, amazing, beautiful human beings who have listened, um, even if there's just a couple of you, thank you for being here and we love you very much. Thank you. Have a great week and goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Our amazing music is written and produced by Evan Coles of Springwood Productions. Speaking of Springwood, I just want to thank them for recording, mixing and producing our audio. Without them, this podcast wouldn't be happening. Springwood is made up of passionate creatives who are really easy to work with and professional, and they really know their stuff. So if you need anything like video or audio production, 
or they can really do anything to help your music or business. Like they got me Taco Bell one time, for God's sake. So go check them out at springwoodproductions.com.